Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was at our business property near Quarryville. I was there to mow the grass that week, as I do every summer, just to help Steve out, and it gives me some outdoor time. So I put the large garage door up and I sat on the mower. It's one of those zero degree mowers. So I'm sitting on the mower, I turn the ignition key and nothing, not even a slight turnover. So I did what every responsible wife does. I called my husband. He was working that day, so he wasn't at the shop. And I said, Steve, something is going terribly wrong. I can't get the mower to start. What do I do? He told me that I would need to go in the shop and find a pair of jumping cables and bring them out, and I would attach one to my car and one to the mower, and I would have no trouble. Well, what you need to know about this, about me, before I go any farther is, I don't know if I have ever held a pair of jumping cables in my hands before. I think I knew what they looked like. But I also knew that something could go terribly wrong if positives and negatives weren't connected. So I had a little bit of trepidation. Knowing I didn't want to attempt this life-threatening task alone, I hustled upstairs, grabbed our office administrator, Shelly, and together we went in the shop looking for jumping cables. Now, many of you won't understand why this is such a big deal to me. You've jumped cables cars and mowers and anything else that needs jumped. You've done it before. Well, resolving issues like this was never a part of who I am. I was not a mower fixer. It was not part of my identity. So with a slight grumble in my spirit, I put my big girl panties on and with shaky hands, I concentrated so carefully on making sure the positives and negatives were connected right. And with Shelly standing a good 10 feet behind me, I hopped back on the mower, turned the ignition key, and the mower started right up. Now, I can imagine many of you are saying, seriously, Dawn? Seriously? You all could have jumped a mower in your sleep. You've had training. You've done it many times, but not me. I stepped out of my comfort zone, and with trembling hands, I did it. And now I can add successful fixer of mowers to my identity, to my skill set. Have you ever had a similar experience? Have you ever had a time where with trembling confidence you stepped out of your comfort zone, done something that you've never done before, and now you can add that experience to who you are? Maybe maybe you bought your first car or your first home. Car owner, homeowner, that's part of our identity. Or maybe you've moved. As a child, you moved with your family, or as an adult, you've moved with your family. Your children started a new school, new guy, new girl in the neighborhood. That's part of our identity. Or maybe you started a different job. You're the new guy in the office. 
maybe your own business. That can be a challenging time of stepping out. Stepping out into something challenging, but adding that to your identity. I'm thinking that each one of us has stepped into a new place and bravely tried that experience. And we've added it to our identity each time. We become moms and dads. We get new friends. We might get married and add a new name to the name that we've had all of our life. Or with trembling confidence, we go back to school and we add letters to our name, right? PhD, RN. We might become a governor or a president. Each time we're called from one place to another place, we gain new experiences and our identity expands. For the first 20 years of my life, I was daddy's girl. I went where dad went. I did what my dad did. We were two peas in a pod. I was Donald Roar's daughter. And as Donald Roar's daughter, I was tobacco patch worker. I was abandoned kitty litter discoverer. I was muskrat trapper. And I was steer sail bitter. And because I was Donald Roar's daughter, I was all of these things. He instilled in me confidence to be the woman that I am today, a woman in ministry. And all of those experiences added to my identity. Well, we're in week three of our Brave series where we're boldly embracing what God is doing in our lives when he calls us to step out in faith and with trembling confidence step into something new. Faith takes us out of our comfort zone. Faith stretches us. And it's in that place of adventure that God does a great work and oh, we don't want to miss it. The Bible is packed with stories of adventure where God walked with his people, stories where God stretched his people, stories where God was calling them into something new. And when we read the Old Testament, we realize that God led his people, the Israelites, through new experiences over and over again. And those experiences impacted them. And their response in these experiences often brought them closer to God. Daniel was an Old Testament prophet who found himself in an incredibly new experience, a place where his identity is tested and a place where his identity is at risk of being stolen. The book of Daniel was written within the context of the fall of Jerusalem and the Jewish exile into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is the Babylonian king, and he's marched his forces in to Jerusalem and conquered the city. Old Testament prophets since the time of Moses had warned God's people that their behavior would bring destruction upon them. Yes, the Israelites had their identity as God's chosen people, but at the time of Daniel, they are finding themselves in a place of defeat and surrender to the Babylonian forces. It's in this defeat and surrender that we join Daniel's story today. 
In Daniel chapter 1, the king tells his chief officer to bring, bring some of the, Ju- of the captured, Judy, captured Jewish sons to the palace to be trained to serve him. Now, these weren't just any sons. The chief officer was to find the most promising and gifted young men from Judah. They had to be good-looking. They had to be intelligent. They had to be good-looking able to be taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. These young men had to be above par. And if you ask me, I think they might have looked like this. (laughs) But seriously. In verse 4, the men chosen by the chief officer were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. The training that these young men would need would take three years, and at the end of this time, they'd be taken to the king. So let's meet these handsome, quick learners and hear what happened to them after they arrived in Babylon. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officer gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Push, pause. Before we go any farther... We need to really understand what's going on in the life of Daniel and his friends. They are being given new names. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because their identity as Hebrews, their identity meant something to them. Their names meant something to them. They would have received their names when they were circumcised. Circumcision was the physical representation of the covenant between God and Abraham well before Daniel, and it was to be carried on well after Daniel for generations to come. Their names were their identity, and now their names are being taken away. I don't know about you, but I like my name. It goes with me wherever I go. I like my name because my parents gave it to me, and I think I'll keep it. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they have been moved from their home and forced to a new experience. Their identity, what they knew, who they were, whose they were, was firmly planted in their names. And now arriving in Babylon, they find their identity is under attack and Daniel has a choice to make. Daniel decides that the chief officer could change his name. But the Babylonians could not and would not change his faith. And a name change wasn't the only thing that pushed against Daniel's identity. The king said, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. 
And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. When we look deeper into this verse, we discover that Daniel is standing up for his convictions. He felt it would be displeasing to God if he agreed to eat the meat the king was telling him to eat. Maybe it was meat that was being given to the Babylonian gods. Maybe it was food that pushed against the Israelites' diet, what they had been eating. Or maybe Daniel refused to eat the food because it would symbolize a friendship between him and Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel refused to rely on Nebuchadnezzar for anything. He only wanted to rely on God. But for whatever reason, Daniel made up his mind that his relationship with God trumped everything else that was happening around him. Taking this stand could have caused Daniel to lose everything, even his life. But maintaining his identity as a follower of God, despite the risk involved, was that important to him. And in bold confidence, Daniel did the right thing and he stood up for his faith. What do you stand for? What is it in your life that is pushing against who God is calling you to be? And you need the faith of Daniel to push through. Maybe God is asking you to stand up for your marriage You recognize the tension that's right below the surface. The passion has gone. And you need to stand up for your marriage and seek counseling. Is that what God is asking you to stand for today? Or maybe God is calling you to be vulnerable with a friend. You're dealing with something tough. And he's asking you just to stand up for your own healing and meet with someone to help you through. Perhaps you need to say no to negative gossip. The workplace cooler, the workplace cafe has begun to be a gossip platform. And you need to stand up and say no. Or maybe, maybe God is asking you to stand up and not let The world steal your joy. We are mourning with the families who lost loved ones in Texas this past week. I can't begin to try and understand how they might be feeling. We need to keep praying for them. We need to keep praying for our country. But can we also step out in faith and ask God to help us not have anxious fear Be a part of our day. Be a part of these tragedies, how we might feel. What do you stand for? When you're facing a hard season, please know that you're not alone. Jesus Christ is real. He's moving and he's active in your life. He's with you in the storm and he's drawing you into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And where he calls you, he will lead you. 
there's a picture hanging in the kitchen over in the church office. And the picture says, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. I'd love to know who put that there because I read it so often and it's so powerful. Daniel got this. Do we get this? If our identity is found in Jesus Christ, we have the God of the universe equipping us to be brave. Daniel came face to face with something huge, literally a king that pushed against his faith and he did something awesome. He reached into his pocket, he pulled out the brave card and he played it with confidence. Remember? Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. How is this possible? How could Daniel be so brave in a new place far from home and facing so much adversity? Daniel could be brave because his primary identity What he relied on the most was his identity as Daniel, child of God. We can slip Daniel's name in here. Daniel knew that God would provide. He knew that God would make a way. He knew that God would not disappoint. And Daniel stepped out of the boat in trembling confidence. The giant before him was manageable because God was in Daniel's corner. Friends, we can slip our name in this blank. When we are up against a giant, we can trust that God will show up. He shows up in our pain. He shows up in our disappointment. He shows up in our story. He shows up because God is faithful. If you're looking for God to show up in your life, keep looking. Don't give up. He's in your corner and he's working God's identity is faithful and trustworthy. And over and over again, he meets us in our place of need and he makes us brave. I'd like to tell you Jeff's story. This past January, at the age of 60, Jeff was diagnosed with glioblastoma multiform. Glioblastoma multiform is a cancerous brain tumor. It can be operable, but outside of a miracle from God, it is not curable. Jeff and his wife, Diane, chose palliative care, helping Jeff stay comfortable instead of surgery. And the doctors gave Jeff eight months to live. Steve and I visited Jeff and Diane regularly And I would often additionally stop at their home here in Mount Joy on my way home from working at church in the offices a day or two a week. During my visits, the three of us would talk. We would laugh a little bit. And I would always, always pray with them. In my conversations with Jeff, it was confirmed to me that he knew about Jesus 
but Jesus was not yet his savior. And I knew it was a matter of time until the horrible cancer took his life, so it became a priority to Steve and I to pray for Jeff. I knew the only source of hope that Jeff and Diane would be able to cling to in the coming weeks was Jesus. As we continued to meet Jeff and Diane, oh, they started watching Crossroads online. And they started reading the daily bread. Diane would read the daily bread to him every evening before they went to bed. They were precious seekers in this thing called Christianity. On a Monday in mid-March when I visited Jeff, it was obvious that his brain tumor was growing because he was having a hard time putting his sentences together, getting out what he wanted to say. And I felt the Holy Spirit just nudging me to ask Jeff again, would you like to ask Jesus to be your Lord? So I took Jeff's hand and I gently explained what that would look like. I just kept it super simple. And he's laying in his bed and I have his hand and I said, Jeff, do you admit that there are sins in your life that only Jesus can take away? He looked at me. I said, Jeff, if, you're, if you agree with what I'm going to say, just shake your head, because he couldn't talk. I said, Jeff, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Just squeeze my hand. And oh, the tears started to flow. I said, Jeff, do you commit today to asking Jesus to be your savior? Just squeeze my hand. And he squeezed my hand. I said, Jeff, you are the Lord's, and he is yours. We finished that precious conversation, and I pulled a little stone out of my pocket, a a shiny stone with a cross on it, and I gave it to him, and I said, Jeff, may this stone be a sweet reminder of what you did today, of who Jesus is in your life, and of the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to work in your heart. Every night after that night, Diane would read to Jeff from the New Testament Gospel of Luke. Jeff seemed eager to learn more and more about who Jesus was. And every time I went to their house, even though he couldn't talk, he held out his hand and showed me the stone. And then he'd he'd push it tight. He wouldn't let me take it. And more than once, that stone got lost in his bed sheets, but Diane always found it, and she'd put it back in his hand. Jesus says Jeff is forgiven. Jesus says Jeff is valuable. Jesus says Jeff is loved. On May 7th, Jeff was admitted to hospice here in Mount Joy, and he still clung to that stone. And there was a handwritten note on the headboard of his hospice table, a note to the nurses, the sweet, great nurses of hospice, that said, do not remove this stone from Jeff's hand. Jeff, my husband's brother-in-law, passed away two weeks ago 
on May 13th. And two days before he died, he could no longer grasp that stone tightly. But Diane made sure it was on his nightstand. She made sure it didn't leave the room. Jeff's identity was son, brother, husband, cancer patient. But his most recent identity that secured him eternity with God was Jeff, child of God. Life can be hard. And we might find ourselves in a place where we need to be brave, where we need to step out in trembling confidence. And in that place, we can trust that God will be faithful. It was that way for Daniel. It was that way for Jeff. It is that way for us. As Daniel's story continues, we hear what he asked for instead of the king's food. He said to the chief officer, please test us. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Daniel is so incredibly confident that God is going to come through for him that he asked to be tested. And this test included eating nothing but vegetables and water. I contemplated something. I thought about trying this Daniel diet 10 days before today, just for kicks and giggles. And then when I thought about it, I decided I can't do it. I find no kicks and no giggles in that diet. So I said no. Verse 14 tells us the chief officer's response to Daniel's request. So he, the chief officer, agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So fast forward now. At the end of the training period, the chief officer proudly presented Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar was their final inspector. And out of the entire group of men brought from Jerusalem, Daniel and the other three far exceeded the rest of the group. And they were given responsibilities in the king's service. In fact, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Daniel stepped out of the boat and with trembling confidence relied on his relationship with God to help him through a very, very tough time in his life. He trusted in his identity as a child of God and God was faithful to Daniel every step of the way, even gifting him with incredible skills that he could use to serve the king. And later in Daniel chapter 4, we see that God used Daniel to help King Nebuchadnezzar praise and exalt God, the King of heaven. 
like Daniel, we may be asked to do something for God that stretches us. But God will give us what we need. He is faithful. So let's apply this story of Daniel to our lives. If you'd like to respond, it's on your connection card. Maybe God is nudging you to take a step of faith. Write that in this blank, this first blank. Just because we know the Lord doesn't mean that we will have an easy life, a stress-free life, a pain-free life. We are not in heaven yet. Just because we're Christ followers doesn't give us an exempt from trouble badge on our shirt. But it does enable us to step out in faith because we know that God directs all of our steps God is faithful. Where is he asking you to remain faithful to him? Write that in this blank. Or maybe you've been kicking the tires of Christianity for a while, but you have yet to accept Jesus as your Lord. Consider placing child of God as your number one identifier today. Check mark this box, and myself or someone from staff will give you a call this week and talk to you more about what that looks like. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for walking with us. Thank you for being the only unmoving, unshakable presence in our lives. And thank you that when our world seems to be on edge and spiraling about, you are unshaken and you are our hope always. God, I pray that you would meet us here today, see our hearts, help us to boldly place our identity in you. If we've known you for years or if we've only felt drawn to you in this past hour, please help us step out in confidence and bravely claim you as our identity, child of a living God. That's who you say we are. In your precious name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Dot org.